I'm oh. quitting life. I just, I can't even anymore. Adulthood is not for me. Hello and welcome to another socially distant episode of Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink alcohol and talk about things and stuff. I'm Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and welcome to the episode. On this week's show, we're going to be discussing the musical Six, which is all about well, we'll come on to what it's all about in a bit. But before we get on to our musical chat, we have some booze to chat about instead. So what's everyone got this week? Why don't you go first, Sam? Fine. Um, I feel I- like you always go last, so I want to hear you go first once. <laughs> Talk about your booze. <laughs> um, well, I don't have any booze. I am being uh, old and doing dry September. Um this episode will be released at the end of September, by which time I'm going to be back on it with a vengeance. But for today, I have some non-alcohol organic sparkling Chardonnay from Thompson, Thompson and Scott. And it's called Naughty, but it's Naughty with an O. Ooh, like the clever. Naughty. Um, I'll be honest with you, mate. I don't have high hopes for it. No, neither do I. I mean, <laughs> why would you get? Why would you? You don't like Chardonnay. That's alcoholic. You don't like why Chardonnay would you? Why would you voluntarily get a non-alcoholic Chardonnay? Could have had Schler. Just could have or Coke. Coke. Oh Coke. no, Schler can suck my dick. Also, I have Coke all the time, so I thought it should be something more exciting. Well, different. um so yeah this is yeah from thompson has got naughty sparkling chardonnay um the description on the back says oh oh it makes me cringe uh naughty alcohol-free organic vegan sparkling chardonnay um are you naughty with an o those of us who have those of us who want to party but without the alcohol have been looking for the answer. Well, here it is. A delicious alcohol-free, organic, vegan, low-calorie, sparkling Chardonnay <gasps> that beats all the competition hands down. Want to know more? Scan the QR code. Do you know what? I'm all right. <laughs> Are you not going to get some nice tasting notes? I'm I'm feeling naughty with an O, so no. Oh, I'm kind of intrigued by what the, I'm kind of intrigued about what the QR code leads to. Well, perhaps in the break I shall have a look. But right now, I can be fucked. So I'm going to open it. What's everyone else got? I have the Tempest Tempranillo from M&S. I actually chose this for a different topic, which was that we were originally going to talk about I May Destroy You, the BBC TV show, which we really, we all sort of had a crack at watching and, and actually really enjoyed, but found it really difficult watch. Um, so we decided to not discuss it just for our own sort of mental health reasons at the moment. Um, but this was meant to pair with that to do with the sort of, you know, maelstrom that is that TV show and, and, and the rage and the, um, the experience there. So I have it for this instead. And my very tenuous, tenuous link is that The Tempest is a Shakespeare play. And Shakespeare wrote during the time of Henry VIII. And that's the best I've got. So Didn't he start I mean, during Elizabeth? No, he... Didn't he he crossed in. He crossed in, no, didn't he? He was, Eliz- he was Elizabeth and James. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Tudor, though. Tudor. Okay, yeah. Um, no, that's it. He wrote a play called Henry VIII. Yes. That's what I was thinking about. And was a Tudor playwright. And look, that's the best I've got, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried. Yeah, sauce. Anyway... An effort was made. <laughs> an effort was it was a poor effort, but an effort was made. 
<clears throat> anyway, um, style, rich, smooth, decadent. Taste, ripe black cherries and vanilla. Food, steak, cheeses and chocolate. It is a full-bodied, silky smooth red wine made from Tempranillo grapes grown in Spain. A tempest for the senses. This bold red is bursting with jammy dark fruits and aromas of vanilla with a hint of licorice. Juicy and opulent in texture with a seriously soft and smooth finish. Try it with roasted meats or game, your favourite cheeses or dark chocolate desserts. I mean, it's a very Tudor wine, in my opinion. That, yeah, that does sound quite yeah. Tudor. Have you got a like, goblet in which to drink it? <laughs> I have a regular wine glass, like a basic oh, bitch. Disappointing. Christ. I mean, I could get one of my giant wine glasses that holds over a bottle of wine. Oh, shit. I've just realised it's a fucking cork. <laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm um, quitting life. I just, I can't even anymore. Adulthood is not for me. I can't even. How's your, how's your <laughs> naughty? Oh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a non it's kind of like the ones we had in January. Before. Except not as good. <laughs> Great. <laughs> for the record, The Tempest is not suitable for vegans and it is made by M&S winemaker Belinda Clinic. Where's Sue? Where's Sue Daniel? Oh. I think Sue's been replaced by Belinda, you know. Alex, what do you have? I have the In Vivo by Sarah Jessica Parker. Ooh. What? I know. I didn't know this was a thing, actually. Um, I think it's brand new to Sainsbury's. Uh, so it's a new wine collaboration and it is a New Zealand wine. I did want to get a German wine because of some of my favourite tracks. Yes. Welcome to the house. Yeah, so I got the Invivo purely because it has a big X on the front. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is in six, but also because it made me think of when you like terminate someone and you're like <laughs> Or you, you know, know ex wives. Uh and that. Just song. <laughs> um, I knew there was like an X in there somewhere or something. And part of the set, I'm sure they have like X's as part of the set. Did I make that up? Possibly. I don't remember it. Okay. Well, anyway, that's why. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. When they do the when they do the Tudor Tinder. Yes, that's what it is. Okay, great. Those are all the links to this wine. <laughs> you succeed in having the most linked wine. Um, So it says, welcome to a most exciting wine collaboration. This New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc was made to a special blend created by Sarah Jessica Parker with the fellas in vivo. The result, a tropical style with a smooth and long finish, a versatile wine that's great with food or on its own. Great. (laughs) Just Just all food. Just food or on its own. Um, and then it's Great signed you're eating, by her. Or not the two states of being, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether you're breathing, <coughs> full stop. <laughs> Kim doesn't sound like she is right now. No. Interesting to see what SJP has to offer. Right. Cheers. 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 Kim, you're pulling a face. Not That's not a good face. It's really sweet. It's sangriery, honestly. Oh. I like a sangria. I was thinking it was going to be like a like a smoky winter wine. It's, um, it's a bit sickening, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's good with chocolate. 
So that's probably why it's... It might sweet. as well be chocolate. Mm, melted chocolate in a bottle. Yeah, like not that. ideal. Oh, well. So, I'm not living up not to Not a winner. So Alex, how's yours? My in vivo... Your kiss. My kiss. SJP. Sauvignon Blanc. It's quite... It is quite tropical. It's quite... Um, I suppose, like, apple Um it, It's much more floral than I would usually go for, but it's quite nice. It's okay. I wouldn't be disgruntled if someone served me this, but I'm not, you know, so far I'm not going to run out and buy it again. My experience of you, Alex, is that if anyone serves you any wine, you're very rarely <laughs> disgruntled anyway. <laughs> well, no, I may moan about it, but I'll still drink it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> How's your naughty... Non-naughty. My naughty. Oh, naughty words. Um, it's okay. It's at least it doesn't feel like I'm missing out. Friends. What because ours is so like not the best, or because no, it's just because it feels it, like it does taste like wine because it is wine. It's just got no booze in it. Cool. Which is so better than Coke. Better than Coke. I might email. Them. Do you want to use this? Do you want to use this pull quote on your labels? <laughs> <laughs> Better than Coke. Better than Coke. So, six is our topic this week. Now, we're not just shouting numbers. That's number wang. Six is an actual thing, but does someone want to describe what it is? It's the greatest thing ever. Um, Six is... Spoilers, Kim! (laughs) Six is a musical based on the wives of Henry VIII, rewritten as if they formed an early noughties pop group it's an alternate history thing it's more like a concert than a musical in the sense that it's not got the same element of like an in-depth long plot like there's a lot more emphasis on the show the, the songs as performance and they know that they are performing to an audience yes and obviously it's called six because Six Wives of Henry VIII. Yeah, and so this was a musical that started in 2000... Well, it was first performed in 2017 at the Edinburgh Fringe. It was written by two people, two students uh, from Cambridge University, Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. He was studying English literature, she was studying history, and Toby was tasked with making a show for Edinburgh, basically, writing a musical. Um, And the idea that he settled on was, yeah the wives of henry the eighth as a girl band and it kind of went from there and now it's been it's been performed in the west end for a couple of years um it's been on cruise ships it was due to open in broadway in march but because of covid i don't know how far into that run it got we saw the touring production in the theater in our city and i think we all loved it and so we wanted to do something that we enjoyed this week and so we chose this because also it has been announced that this is one of the first shows to come back to the West End following uh, social distancing and COVID. And it's going to be the first socially distanced performance. Also, I think it's quite fitting that Six is one of the first uh, shows to come back in at full scale because of the rule of Six. Yes, the newly announced rule of Six that offends absolutely nobody and nobody is miffed at at all. Definitely. Yeah. I completely spaced on what you were talking about then. And I was like, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> were you thinking like that? six degrees of separation? Yeah. I thought 
I thought you were going to say... Like, for every six shows you see, someone must die. Like, what, is <laughs> what do you mean? You will be beheaded at the end of this show. <laughs> it's immersive. <Yeah. laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to talk about six kind of as if we're assuming that people are vaguely familiar with it or have seen it or have the ability to go listen to the soundtrack because it is on Spotify and it is awesome. Um, but just for those of you, like for a brief introduction, the way that it works is like the, the premise is that the six wives of Henry VIII are annoyed about the fact that they are only rem- remembered as being the six wives of Henry VIII. And they are entering essentially like a pop stars competition as to who was the true queen, like who is the ultimate queen of the six wives of Henry VIII which means that they each sing a song about their experiences with Henry and their lives and their sort of world in a originally to sort of show how much they suffered. Like that's part of it is that how much they suffered at Henry's hands to show that they are like the true queen, but also to, to showcase like why they are the best or why their claim is most valid. It's all very sort of electro pop and amazing and wonderful. The ultimate ending is that they kind of realise, thanks to Catherine Parr, that the competition element of it is all bullshit and that centering of this narrative is is really detrimental because they were all women and visionaries or um, intelligent people or, you know, they all had lives outside of Henry VIII. And actually the fact is that they shouldn't be just remembered for that, but they are. Um, so then they rewrite their own histories. They reimagine what would happen if they had all basically told Henry to fuck off or told Henry exactly what they wanted. And it's ostensibly supposed to be giving a voice to women who are only part of a man's history. So it's supposed to be a herstory. I think I think it's about also it's like reclaiming this rhyme that obviously mm. is everything that everyone especially in I suppose uh, British history classes up and down the country for years and years and years has only ever known the rhyme of uh, Henry VIII's wives barely anything about them really which some, what is the rhyme divorced beheaded, beheaded died died divorced, divorced beheaded, beheaded survived, survived. And I suppose it's it's all about victimhood and sisterhood. So as you said, it's told in this kind of format of somewhere between a singing competition and a con- like a gig concert kind of thing. And there's a vague through line that goes through the plot as well. I mean, it's not vague, but it's also not, like you say, the, the focus necessarily of the performances. Why do you think this was the format that was chosen over let's say a typical musical you know your cheesy singing dancing I mean this is singing and dancing but the the typical tropes of the love arc and the redemption 15 minutes before the end and all that kind of thing um why do you think this was chosen over that and do you think it works or do you think there's another format that would have worked better I think it's quite interesting the fact that it was chosen as this kind of girl group uh, uniting. I I think there's something quite cliche in it, but then I I think that's the point. I think it's kind of trying to be cliche as a a joke 
um, and a recognisable format of this girl group uh, that are quite competitive, um, all have their different personalities, are represented as those personalities as a kind of package to an audience. And there's something quite empowering about an all-female group as well. I think the rise of them in the naughty, like with the Spice Girls and everything, there was this whole massive kind of girl power. So I think that was a conscious choice on that. And especially as the fact that, you know, UK-wise, what we know about them is this rhyme. So it was it was giving voice to them through a medium that is similar to how they're known, but a voiceless almost. So for me, that format worked as a kind of comment on what we know about them very little and recognize about them and reclaiming it as their own, which is why, yeah, I think that's probably why this kind of format was chosen. Dramaturgically, it feels quite sound. Good word. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good point. I was thinking that if you did it in a traditional way, where they are actors on a stage portraying a a narrative, they're not playing to the audience, they're not aware of the audience, and they're following a a redemption arc or a love arc, whatever. There's no way you could do that without sidelining one, if not all, of the queens and making it about Henry VIII. And I think that the point was very much to give centre stage to the women in the story. And I think the best way for them to do that was for them to all get the, an equal amount of attention and time in the show. The only way to do that was, I, I think, to, to to really shake up the formula and not make it a traditional arc because there would have there, there's a bit too much, I think, to contend with maybe in a two-hour musical I d- you know, like it gets a lot of comparisons to Hamilton, but I don't think it works in the same way that Hamilton works, where you know it is very much following one person's life because you're not following one person, you're following six people. And so the idea is that they are literally taking center stage for a minute, well, for three minutes each to to be the center of it, and that they are always lumped together as a group. And so why not? why not make use of the fact that they are lumped together as a group to kind of subvert this idea of one of the few places where women have been able to authentically or not express something like express feelings and express emotions as a group. Cause you don't, you know, we've talked about this with female led films and stuff before. Like you don't get a lot of spaces where women as a group is not seen as something bitchy or negative or to be torn down whereas girl groups you know like you say Alex during the 90s and the early 2000s like they have a popularity and a unity and a um an ident a separate identity within them but also a, a, a group identity that is very translatable that is very recognizable to the general public because it was so popular and it was so big so it's really drawing on that familiarity and that careful careful blending of group identity and individual identity that has been established by you know having the Spice Girls are a great example but you've also with you know Sporty Spice etc but you've got I'm thinking of things like Girls Loud and Little Mix where they exist as a unit but there's always oh well Cheryl is the northern one or whatever like there's there's they have identities <laughs> i really struggle to think of names then well like, any of their names i do know their names i'm just on the spot um 
<laughs> but like they have identities, they have parts that they sing or they have like so-and-so will always sing the ballad or whatever. And I think like, so I think that this format doing it as a concert or a gig like that allows them to put the focus on the woman. It does, it deliberately does not make it one person's story or one, any kind of narrative because the, otherwise the through line of the narrative would be Henry. And this kind of takes away from that in a way, like it's still, he's still there as they make the point in the show, he's still there. He's always going to be there, but it gave them a way to, yeah make the focus point the women in a way that i don't think a traditional musical would and also if they weren't if they weren't aware of the audience if it was just a play in which they did everything that they're doing but not being aware of the audience not playing to the audience so they still had this pop stars thing it would feel really inauthentic because of course a pop star is going to be playing to an audience so it really is that they get a chance to um engage and build up support and, and make it makes that whole experience feel more realistic in a weird way just the fact that it's an alternative reality pop band with the six wives of henry the eighth well i suppose it's, it's about them having a connection in the to human beings in the modern world so obviously like you would choose to probably break the fourth wall in that respect because you want to connect directly to them Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, you saying about giving every one of them a moment in the spotlight is what was important. So, yeah. It's so funny because the, the, the two main phrases I keep thinking of are give them a moment in the spotlight or let them take centre stage. And they're both obviously cliches, but they're so that they are very deliberately like that's a deliberate choice to take those well-known cliches and well-known phrases and make them the fucking point which I love. Yeah, I think there are a few reasons that it was done as it is. And I think the points that both of you mentioned are very interesting, make a lot of sense for this. I think that's, they're all really good points. I know that the writer, um, Toby Marlowe was like, he had four things that he wanted to, he wanted the show to be before he'd even decided what the topic was. Um, and it was, um, he wanted it to be either a non-binary or female cast. He wanted it to be about uh, famous events. Um, he wanted it to be in a pop genre, because in his words, I think pop is the greatest. Um, <laughs> and there was a third one that I can't actually now remember, but um, those those were the things that he was considering. So I suppose by that point, if you're thinking of a concentration of famous women in a period of history, then Tudors make sense. It's really, it's really interesting that he went about it that way and then assigned Henry VIII's wives from those points that he was so set on. Like yeah, it's I mean, almost like you think of the subject and then create the world and the narrative around it. Like it's, it's a weird way, unless it was like an assignment. Was it an assignment at uni? No, it was it was he won a competition to create a show, I think. But this I think these were parameters that he set for himself. But the other one of the other things that he considered was uh like the the real housewives of Shakespeare. <laughs> um and there were some other bits as well. But yeah, so there was I can see how that would make this make sense. Oh, we need a lot of famous women to sing pop songs. This seems like a good point. So I wonder if as is the way with all kind of critique if it was a lot more simple in its first conception then we're potentially 
overthinking it. Yeah, yeah. Or those, you know, all these points I think probably developed as the show went on. But yeah, like Kim said, the it's kind of the historical context of the lives of these women is quite hard to get over in a short period of, or the period of a musical. Um, like you say, they do it in Hamilton, but it, the whole point of Hamilton is that it's fucking fast. <laughs> and also it's hard to talk about these women in a context that isn't related to the events of the time as well. Like to take them out of that context, you're not left with much of a structure other than Henry. He is the common thread. And also I think it's just, it's modernising, it's a modern way of telling a story. This is a, a musical that people use the music on things like TikTok. It was all the show notes and creation were done on Google Docs and the original, the writers still have like notes on their phones and stuff. Like this is very much a 21st century production. And I think it's that 21st century form of entertainment. I think it's also worth noting that this was originally uh, produced for The Fringe as well. And I think this format completely lends itself to a fringe audience. And, you know, whether that translates into large scale and like West End and Broadway, you know, that might be a critique we have. But in terms of in terms of a format of uh, fringe theatre, this like is perfect. And, you know, you can almost visualise it in a basement. I I don't know what the first outing was of it, but, you know. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Visualise it in a basement just sounds That's so where the like... takes place. No, it's I know. I know. I know it does, but it's just like... It just... <laughs> sorry. It just tickled me. It's <laughs> just like you walk down to your basement and there's six women singing at you <laughs> angrily. But you, also, but you can also see it like that in that terms of like when I think of, um, you know, when your friends would come over and you'd do dance routines and you'd be the yes. Spice Girls, you mm. can see it in a basement in that way as well. I am so jealous that I did not see this at the Fringe because I think it just would have been amazing. I can envisage being in a basement with a bottle of some kind of cheap booze um, because I'm super poor because the Fringe is so expensive and just getting really pissed and listening to people sing about history and being a woman and, you know, something really empowering and the interaction when you're that close to the action, you know, is tenfold. So. I think in that format, it would have worked perfectly. I'm not saying it doesn't work as a large-scale West End Broadway piece. I'm sad that I didn't see it at the Fringe because it almost, I imagine it probably loses a little special something being in such large large scale. I mean, this is a production that you don't need a set. You don't need extravagant costumes. I don't know how much both of you know necessarily about the time period but I wondered if there were any other characters that you thought or historical figures I should say not characters that you thought would have been beneficial to include so obviously it's an all-female cast but I I think this goes for people of any gender because the the writer originally wanted to include Hans Holbein ah which is why that song is so randomly in there (laughs) yeah and then yeah they threw in House of Holbein in the middle instead. I love that song. I absolutely love it. I think like random German funk like with UV is obviously I'm all about that. But I always did think... Neon roughs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the moment I saw that, wasn't expecting it at all. Absolutely loved it. Um, I think 
it definitely enriched my experience in terms of the song is great and like the unexpectedness is great but I do it does make me feel a little bit that it's the odd one out as a song that exists without a kind of main protagonist that's not present so I I wonder I mean I just think that connects with your question Sam in terms of that's me answering it without actually having to say anyone historical. <laughs> <laughs> Smart. So you're saying they should have included Hans Holbein to make that song make sense. Or more more people or do you know what just in terms of like a couple more to make to make it kind of fit within a couple like, more rando bits to yeah. make uh, it not be so random or yeah. include the person that they talk about. I mean personally I disagree on both of those things but I see your point. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking I love your it. opinion, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's random, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily want Hans Holbein to be in it. Um, I don't think, but I appreciate. It, but I, I think maybe there should be more connection with other moments of songs that yeah. help tell the context of the, well, of the history. I um personally, I mean, my boy Cromwell doesn't get a shout out, which frankly, I take Gretchen as a personal Wiener. affront. Yeah, Gretchen Wieners is not in it. That's a callback to our Mean Girls episode, guys, where I somewhat incorrectly and drunkenly compare Gretchen Wieners to Thomas Cromwell. Listen Most to the episode for that hot take. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I would obviously, like, Cromwell, Cramner, like, there are there are significant male figures in and around it that don't get mentioned, but that's probably, you know, that's kind of the point that they're not in it. Um, in terms of female figures, I think that there is a reason why King's mistresses were not included. You know, the ones that did not get a ring on it are not included. But I would have found it interesting if, given that there are swing members of, you know, that members of the cast, the swing cast, there are ladies in waiting essentially, that something could have been made of those ladies in waiting to be those mistresses, like to be those peripheral figures that we know quite a lot about, obviously historically, but aren't in the rhyme. And that that would have actually been a really interesting um, continued subversion of the rhyme to include those women without, like, despite the fact that they're not part of the divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived narrative. They are the, you know, woman with a son who doesn't have a wedding ring. Like that's, that's the only mention really that they get. And I also think there is an argument for, um, I forget her name, it's Anne something, quote unquote, witch at the time that was the pre- oh. Alice, Alice, I think her name was not Anne, the definitely one, an A name. Yeah. The one that was essentially the precursor to Anne being, um, Anne of Anne Boleyn being um, executed, like it was kind of the fodder for that. So if you wanted to if you wanted to expand that circle that might have been someone but i think that the the point like keeping it that restricted is is significant i just would like to see like more like you know we've got pop stars and then there's pop stars the rivals and x factor 1 2 3 4 <laughs> 17 23 like let's have six the rivals and have the fucking mistresses and witches and <laughs> go for it 
I almost when you um, sent us these like kind of points ahead of the podcast, um, I was thinking about how that would be staged, like whether these characters or historical figures or whatever would be on stage the whole time and part of the band or would they like where would they come on and at what point? And the only thing I imagined was either they were part of the crowd and they would like jump up and then join in or they're like flown in from the sky <laughs> and then like you know like almost like they're what do you mean <laughs> like you know like I don't know I almost imagined it like a different era of girls bands or singing and you know like how like like old 50s movies like women are kind of like flown in on a cloud or in a bird cage <laughs> are you going to come like Queen ex machina. Yeah. And that's Amazing. how I imagined it, that they were just kind of flown in and out or whatever. And and I'm not averse to that. <laughs> I along those same lines, I would love the male figures that we've mentioned, Cramner, Cromwell, or you know, any of the sort of sideline characters that maybe get one or two shout-outs, or could get one or two shout-outs, as the sexy band a la Shania Twain or any <laughs> any male music video where they're in like fucking the the women are playing guitars but not really playing them in fucking high heels and underwear do that for the men like have the men be the band but in like fucking tricorn hat and boxes and it'd be amazing <laughs> and like oil and fake <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> The money I would pay. For, and like a giant Thomas, fat industrial fan. That Thomas like Cromwell with his little, little food rag and his fancy hat and his little boxes playing the fucking bass. I'd be here for it. <laughs> I feel like this is, is wearing Kim's, like wet dream. This but. is my secret <laughs> fantasy, apparently. Who knew? Wearing the Chancellor's big gold chain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Goldy oh. looking chain, you might say. Yeah. Incredible. That would be that would be my staging suggestion. Uh, Toby Marlowe, Lucy Moss, hit me up <laughs> if you're listening. We've got notes. Um, um, what about you, Sam? Is our history buff of the Tudor period? What kind of characters would you introduce? Well, I think I would like to have seen the mistresses because the people think that Henry VIII was an enormous womanizer because he had six wives and he killed two of them. Um, but actually, for a monarch of the time. He did not have a lot of mistresses. He married a lot of the women he was either having affairs with or building up to sleeping with. So there aren't that many side characters, but Bessie Blunt, who was the woman who had his son, uh, Henry Fitzroy, when he was with Catherine. We don't know anything about her. They could have done anything with her. And I think she would have been really good to bring in as like a, just for a song and then have a, you know, Fly just out. To add something. Yeah, because have a fly out on her <laughs> winged horse or whatever, you know, Alex has got in mind. But yeah, having Mary Boleyn, uh, Anne's sister, who Henry had the affair with before Anne, I think would have been good, as people who have seen or read the other Boleyn girl will know. But yeah, Henry's mother as well, because she was, I think, instrumental in making him the person that he turned into, because he was very mothered as a child because he wasn't expected to become king and he was her spoiled second boy because Arthur got all the kingly training and treatment and then basically she turned him in well it's all obviously it's all conjecture but the idea is that she spoiled him and he grew up to be a man who threw a tantrum when he didn't get his own way with things right Freud (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a house of Holbein. Always um, the mother's <laughs> fault. Always the mother's fault. Blame the parents every time. Uh, but yeah, no, I think she would have been like some kind of matriarch song, I think would have been really good. Like an old, oh, like yeah. a vintage style. Like Hollywood oh, number. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, think that Edith, been yeah. Good. I think that there's there's motherhood as a track, like as a as a through note of um the story of six, I think, to an extent. And I think that you could have had a motherhood song and include Henry's mother. And especially when you consider what does come up in in the song about um how Henry essentially said that Catherine Aragon had not had any children because he she had a girl. Like daughters were, are so easy to forget. Yeah, that they were cursed to be childless because she had married Arthur previously, and like obviously that wasn't true. She was not childless, and like how how horrible that was. And I think like that that idea of motherhood would have actually been a really interesting song. And that's how like if you know in retrospect hindsight is twenty uh, twenty, but you know that's one way that they could have maybe incorporated the mother story. And then mistresses would be hilarious and probably add a really interesting dimension to the songs that are already in place. Like if you compare some of the songs that are are already there, they they have those themes. They have a theme of mistressing and they have a theme of mistressing. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm going mistressing, don't you know? I'm going mistressing. On the heat. Um, on the heat. I love a niche mistress. Gone shagging. <laughs> I'm going to check in. <laughs> and we are back from our break. Maybe we had a wee. Who knows? But how is everyone finding their wine tonight so far? Um, My in vivo is perfectly nice. Full stop. My Tempest Tempranillo is gash. Oh, um, is it that bad? Every time I drink it, I make a face. I'm surprised you guys haven't noticed. You give gash I, name. I have two thirds of a bottle. We didn't left. notice your gash face, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, so oh, it is. I can feel my incisors rotting. Oh gosh! <laughs> so um, yeah, but no molars, um, just incisors. No, because well, I don't swish it around my mouth. I'm literally going. <laughs> I'm holding it in the middle of my mouth because it's that horrible. Oh, I don't oh. want it to touch the sides of my oh. tongue. I am not enjoying it. Full stop. Sounds unpleasant. Mm. Sue Daniels would have done you better. Sue Daniels. Who? Like, fuck's sake, Belinda. Bring me back, Sue. Sam, what about your naughty business? Me naughty business. Um, It's fine. It's fizzy. I'm on the last glass. It's all right. I mean, if you're looking to have a non-alcoholic wine in company because you don't want to feel left out this will do the job um it's not as good as actual wine but obviously (laughs) (laughs) so back to six then a lot of the story is based around this idea of reclaiming these women's story from just being kind of a footnote in the life of henry the eighth and establishing them as, as more than that do you think the way that was done was too simplistic do you think there wasn't enough context to just go hey we're just going to rewrite our own or do you think that this is the kind of show where actually you don't have to do a hugely in-depth study of how how you would actually rewrite these women's narrative and it's fine to just do it as it was i think that 
the only place where they really do it justice is with Catherine Parr because she had the most on record to do so. Like her song is very much about reclaiming her story in a way that the other songs aren't. And then they rewrite their story in the final song. And I think personally, I think that that is the most, the most reclaiming. I think all the rest you could argue is still fairly, like you say, simplistic. I think that maybe arguably it could be done better. I think that it works in the context of, of the narrative of the show. But I think if you're just listening to the soundtrack, you maybe miss out on a bit of that. For example, like when I first listened to the soundtrack, I didn't really enjoy um, Anne Boleyn's song because I think that I found it really reductive. But then when you when I watched the show, it was a lot more enjoyable because there is a little bit more context, but obviously you don't always get the context because it's not because it's not a musical like Hamilton. There's a term for it, which Alex, you might know, which is the, the difference between like Hamilton and... Um, Lame is where the entire plot is in all of the songs or something more like Wicked where there is there is speaking and Six where there is speaking around the songs and there's a difference between the two. So yeah, I think that it's it's maybe too simplistic or it's just lacking a little bit more context. And I would have would I think that there is a way that it could be done better, but at the same time it doesn't mean that I don't love what's already been done. I think um, it's interesting that this um, reclaiming her story is like the overall theme that maybe people would equate to Six. Because I suppose the moment in which they reclaim their history is in the final song where they rewrite it. And I, I suppose you can argue it all is because they're reclaiming the fact that they have been silenced and they are suddenly speaking out. But in terms of the history that they're talking about, you know, we're going to rewrite uh, what could have happened without this man in our life. I do feel that it's quite rushed because it's all lumped in with one song and you know, just the pace of the song is quite quick. So it's hard to, I have only in the maybe eighth listen of the soundtrack actually realised what they're saying or claiming that they would do if they'd never met this man. So as a conclusion piece, maybe we lose moments in which they rewrite their own history and it would be nice to hear snapshots of it within their own individual songs. So therefore, when the conclusion song happens and the finale song happens, we're expecting it and we're like, yeah, I'm there with you because I know how much potential you had to be the, that person. Maybe that's a criticism um, only because, like, you know, like I said, I had to re-listen to it a couple of times to really get what they were saying. Yeah, I think it's it's a tricky one because... These are women who are, by virtue of their place in history, known by the person they were married to. That's that's the only reason that we know these these women's names, and that's not a fault of theirs. That's that's history. That's because you know it's his story, and so their songs, with the exception of Catherine Parr's, are about their relationship to men, and particularly their relationship to Henry. So you've got eighty percent of a show where the entire point is look at how much this man influenced my life, look what happened. 
and then yeah the like you say the end is is the kind of the reversal but i think it almost i can't tell if it was something that they were trying to that the writers were trying to do in terms of give it a happy ending because you know these women two of these women were killed one of them was two of them were basically kicked out one of them died and the other one was only still alive by virtue of the fact he died first and did um, not have a happy like did not did have not. a happy marriage but no. <laughs> was very close to being killed basically well, exactly, if he yeah. hadn't been infirm yeah exactly and yeah um so i i feel like it was a bit of a let's wrap this up with a happy bow but that's the only yeah. way to do it and that doesn't mean i didn't enjoy it it just means that if i look at it i'm like mm. This could have been done better if that's what they wanted to do. Like you said. I think what they do do, though, they do give more context do. to the lives. Haha, <laughs> do do. Um, they do give more context to some of the lives. Like some of the songs, not all of them, but some of them, if you consider um, Anne of Cleves and Catherine Howard, both their songs are not really about their relationship with Henry. They are, about they are before and after. Like, the other way around, Anne of Cleves is after, and Catherine Howard is predominantly before, culminating in her relationship with Henry. So it's it's context and and also House of Holbein, which we, we you know we keep talking about House of Holbein as this like anomaly song, but it is related to Anne of Cleves's story. Um, and so that is also like context to her story as 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 opposed to necessarily context to Henry VIII. Like it's it gives it gives more information that you don't always get. And I think like Anna Cleves is a really good example of this because divorce beheaded died, divorce beheaded survived. You you get the divorce. Anna Cleves is the one that everyone forgets. If we're being honest, Anna Cleves is the one that everyone forgets. Everyone knows the first three, because you're like Catherine Aragon, 20 years, she's the first one. Anne Boleyn, she's the famous one. Jane Seymour, the one he truly loved, who had the boy. So obviously she lives in memory and she's the one in the famous portrait. And then you've got, and then you've got the hot one. That's the argument. Like you've got the hot one, the young one, the, the slutty one, whatever you want to call, whatever history has wanted to call her. Like she, Catherine Howard is a relatively famous one. And also she has a more exciting and obviously all of this is in massive air quotes and sarcasm like exciting ending because she gets killed um and then Catherine Pius is survivor Anna Cleves is the one that gets forgotten and essentially she gets a song and a half in this and both of those thong- songs are not about like they're not just about Henry thought that she was fugly they are she's living her best fucking life and she she played the system. She did She did what she was supposed to do. She got her hot portrait. She got married to a king. She came out alive and she got a lot of money from it, which is a pretty much a success story for the ages, let alone for the Tudor period. And on the flip side, I think Catherine Howard's song shows how little power she really had. So for all that I think that the herstory thing maybe is can be a bit reductive, and I think definitely the last song as Alex you said and Sam I think you touched on is a little bit rushed a little bit you feel maybe a little bit shortchanged because you would like I would like the whole thing to be that I do think that the songs themselves enrich figures from history that we we fundamentally don't know that much about like we we don't because of 
the the time and the way that history is written it gives a context an emotional context that we don't get and i think that it does it in a way that feels realistic and authentic like i can actively believe that they all felt this way and i think that that's important and i think it's particularly important for the less flashy queens you know the jane the anne of cleves and the Catherine howard i think that they are maybe the less celebrated like everyone fucking loves anne boleyn or you get the people that don't love anne boleyn but they love Catherine of aragon you don't get a lot of stands for anne of cleves until six came along so like we said at the beginning this is the first show to be kind of making a return in the post-covid world of the west end performances um there are probably many financial and um, other reasons as to why this is the show that's been chosen. But what do you think there are any reasons that you can think of that this was the first one? So when you first posed this question, um, I definitely thought financial. You know, it's going to be a lot cheaper because it's a smaller cast. It's a limited like amount of costumes. Like there's no costume changes. Um, also stage management. So I think it's cheap to wheel out. I also think there is a responsibility of theatres and the arts to lift spirits right now. And I think this is a show that certainly, I don't know about you guys, but like, and I'm sure we'll rate it at the end, but definitely lifts my spirits in comparison to that or or in relation to that it sells it's going to make money and the arts is fucking suffering so yes release this cheap to produce cheap to put out there lifts people's spirits and makes money done yeah yeah i think i mean you honed in on the exact thing that i thought of which was that it's uplifting like it isn't fundamentally uplifting even if some of the themes are sad and you maybe think about it too much like we do and you get a little bit sad about Catherine Howard, like it's still is pop music and it's popular and it's fun and it's engaging and it's short and it's cheap to run. It's cheap to get the tickets. It's popular on things like TikTok. Like it has that already built in young people fan base that the government's so keen to exploit. Although I thought it was interesting that this, has chosen to be the first one because I also think it is the one of the most likely shows that I can think of to be actively sung along to by the audience which cannot be particularly healthy if we're talking about singing and droplets and what do you think Sam? Yeah I agree with all your points and also it's got the advantage like you say of being able to be performed anywhere for the reasons that we said about it being designed as an Edinburgh show and being minimal and basically just needing microphones and a band you can do that anywhere so it makes sense to do something like this other than something like Wicked or Les Mis. there have been tests of not tests that you know over the summer there have been certain outdoor performances outdoor gigs so this as a very gig based format makes sense to follow on from that because it's already been tested but also i do think that there is something to the story the setting being ostensibly an uplifting plot set in a time that is not relatable to the current situation that we're in like it's not a world war ii it's not a present day it's not 
something like Les Mis, which is all angst and sadness, or even um, Phantom of the Opera, like it's it's very far removed yeah because of its unusualness because of because of all the things that we've talked about like the the german funk songs and the 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 familiarity of the pop music but the setting in tudor court like it's so odd and sort of other you know as you say far removed that i think that it i can't think of anything that in six that is going to make me think about covid it exists outside of any kind of it's it's escapism. Yeah. 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 Very Familiar true. escapism, which is nice. All right then. Many, many points that we've talked about tonight, but I think there's one very important one that we need to cover before we go. And that is do you have a favourite song from the soundtrack or from the show? As they are the same thing. <laughs> I do have well, like all of them are fucking great. I love all of them and I listen to them all the time. But my favourite song is All You Wanna Do because it's catchy and it's fun. But also the first time Who I watched that? it. Which queen is that? Uh, Catherine Howard, I think it is. When I watched it, I was surprised by the emotional journey that happens within that song. I think that you are offered this portrayal of the girl band, of the songs, in a very light manner. And then suddenly, this song has a journey that is actually quite dark and sad. And I remember being quite taken back by that realisation while I was watching it. And so therefore, this is my favourite song, because it isn't just surface it very much hit home to me what happened to this young woman in history just through these three minutes. I do. I really like that song as well, All You Want to Do. But I go through phases where I'm like, this is my favourite. No, this is my favourite. No, this one's my favourite. Um, and the only two I don't feel like that about are, well, actually, there's a few I don't feel like that about. And one is The Heart of Stone, which is Jane Seymour's song. And the other one is... Um, I Don't Need Your Love, which is Catherine Parr's song. And also the finale song I, doesn't really do much for me, to be honest. But the other four, I kind of have on a rotor of favourites, but it usually comes down to uh, Get Down, which is Anne of Cleves' song. It is such a good song. I just really enjoy being able to <laughs> bring me some pheasant, keep it on the bone. Bone. <laughs> I like get, I like getting down on the loot. I like it. the um I got gold. Then my jam chains, comes on the symbolic of my faith in the higher power in the fast lane. My Absolute classic. Yeah. Yeah. Banger. Um yeah, it's yeah, I really like that. Yeah. I'd like to echo both your sentiments, which is that the emotional depth of all you want to do has had me on more than one occasion send a text to Sam being like, we have not, like, history needed to protect Catherine Howard and we have failed her. And also that I go through phases of, like, which one is my favourite. I'm finding it really difficult to choose a favourite. I I have, similarly to Sam, I have a couple that are never my favourite. Don't Lose Your Head is never my favourite. Like, I just... Oh, I love that song. No, it's just it's just not my cup of tea. Like I, I just and I think I think Sam might feel this way occasionally too, which is that she and I have both read quite a lot about Anne Boleyn 
and her shrewdness and intelligence and stuff and it maybe dumps her down a little bit i might be speaking for sam in this regard but like sometimes it 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 bothers me but um i i, I enjoy it but it's never my favorite song i think uh, it's, it's not really a my song favorite. it's a song that once you've seen the show you like more because you yeah. see more of her but the song on its own is a Doesn't bit work yeah it's I, a bit I, kate I, nash well, that's the thing. I mean, the inspiration in the in the program is Kate Nash and Lily Allen, so it, it makes perfect sense. But it's like it's not my interpretation of Anne Boleyn, so it doesn't align with necessarily what I wanted. Basically, I was narrowing it down. So, putting aside the opening song, which I think is amazing, and I think that as an opening song goes, it's it's probably one of the best of any musical. I narrowed it down to No Way, Get Down, and House of Holbein. Narrowed it down to thirty percent of the soundtrack. I'm going to go with the one that we've been talking about this entire fucking podcast, which is German electro funk House of Holbein. Welcome to the house, to the house of Holbein. I love it for so many reasons, not least because it has good memories for me, but also because it's so unexpected. It's so such a fucking earworm it haunts your dreams like genuinely <laughs> and on top of that like it's satirical and i think you know we talked a, a couple of weeks ago when, when we were talking about pitch perfect about the importance of satire in our comedy and stuff like that and like for me it's one of it's one of the best examples of that so today my choice is house of holbein ask me tomorrow it'll be something different but today welcome to the house to the house of holbein yeah so I think that's about time for us to wrap up on the sixth episode this week. But we have to rate both the musical and the soundtrack and the show all bundled into one and also the wine that we've been drinking. Um, I'm going to go first because I can and I'm speaking. So because you're <laughs> that, sober. <laughs> because I'm sober. And the wine that I have to rate is the Naughty by Thompson & Scott, the organic sparkling Chardonnay, which is alcohol-free. It's an alcohol-free wine. Don't really know what else to say about it. It's all right. 2.5. Um, I'm going to go next in the hopes that Alex ends on a positive note because mine sure is. <laughs> um, mine is the Tempest off of m and uh, Tempranillo by Belinda Clinic. It's really not good. I have drunk less than half a bottle of it. Shit. I'm, I have not enjoyed any part of it at all. So it's... Might be the episode with the least amount of alcohol consumed. I honestly, I want to give it like a naught, which seems so harsh. A naught! I'm going to give it a one, just because I don't want to be a dick. You can go 0.5. Remember, we can do the 0.5s. Yeah, I'm going 0.5. I've never been this harsh just- on wine. 0.5. Like, I would I would actively deter people from buying this wine. I might smack it out of the hand of someone who tries to buy it the next time in MNS. Wow bad alex what about your empty bottle my empty bottle has been reasonably enjoyable it hasn't been anything groundbreaking it's fine i'm gonna give it a three so it's okay if it was an offer i'd definitely buy it for a dinner party so it was 12 quid i was gonna say how much is it yeah 12 quid in terms of casual beverages with mates nah not the one. Yeah. Not the one. Three, a 2.5 and a 0.5 on the one. Yeah, mine did not match Ooh. the topic at all. It did not. Or it did not. It did not topic. even come close. 
And what about six? What are we going to give that out of our five grapes? So I hate musicals. <laughs> for someone I who be like, I hate six. Spoiler. No, like, I hate musicals. For someone who works in theatre, like people always criticise me for not having a love of musicals. A lot of people's love of theatre kind of starts and is grown from a love of musicals and that didn't happen for me. So it's never it's never blossomed, if you would. So I'm really shocked that I love it so much. It's the only musical I will listen to in the car when I'm driving. I am going to give it... I'm going to give it 4.5. And that's massive for me as a musical piece of theatre. So yeah, 4.5. Nice. I feel so weirdly smug to have inflicted this upon you. Uh, Sam? Much like a lot of good albums, this is something that I think you have to see to properly appreciate and see live. uh, Because listening to the soundtrack, although the soundtrack is good, I think it doesn't contextualise and doesn't do it justice. The performance was definitely better than listening to the recordings in my opinion so if you do get the chance and you like the music go and watch it from a socially distanced perspective but I think it's I think it's very clever uh, lyrically I think there's some excellent moment for vocals in it love Tudor shit anyway so that's a winner so I'm gonna go with a four brilliant how about you Kimberly I am gonna be ultra ultra generous because even though I have some criticisms of it it is it gives me as good feelings as books that i've given five stars to and films that i've given five stars to like everything that i consume and watch and read and and everything like has has caveats nothing is perfect but in terms of like my enjoyment of it and also its feminist message and inclusion and and its longevity it's for me it's a five I just I have such a love for it and like Sam like Sam I have um a love for Tudor history in a different different way in a different capacity but a love for it and it kind of fulfills that for me just great it's a five star for me Okay, so that brings us to the end of the show this week. Uh, Thank you for listening. If you're listening on an Apple device and you've enjoyed what you've heard, maybe leave us a review or a rating because we'd love to know what you think. You can also check us out on social media. We're on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We're on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. Or you can go to our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. And don't forget to come back in two weeks' time when we'll have a brand new episode of Great Culture waiting just for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.